I feel like I'm going to do a lot of complaining about OP on this episode. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a big section. I I feel like <laughs> this is two episodes. <laughs> we have like a lot of stuff in this arc, and uh, I want to talk about OP for a long time. <laughs> I mean, if we talk about OP for the whole, like an episode length, then we can maybe skip the historic stuff. But I'm actually like really pumped for historic. Like, I'm actually going to stream. Like, I'm planning on streaming historic. historic. Does, I think the initial start of historic will be really really fun yeah and then it'll get bad again obviously yeah of course hey everyone Welcome to episode 191 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Pretty good. It's a little rather lazy day for me, kind of in between meetings and not paying attention in some of those meetings today. Well, it happens. Give me a lot of time to look at historic lists and, you know topical magic news stuff of which has been happening all this past week yeah so my original intention for this episode was just to talk about historic and like give us a a foothold in where historic is right now and then spend as much time as we can talking about like kind of actual lists and things that we are excited to do in the new historic format because it's really opened up and who knows what is possible with the Mystical Archive cards. But you're right. There's too much stuff going on, like organized play stuff specifically. So I think we're going to spend some time talking about that first and then hopefully have some time to dip our toes into Historic. So I don't know. Do you want to lead off with a, a summary or anything? How do we How do we intro this? So... This weekend was the Strixhaven League weekend, right? That's the MPL weekend, which famously featured zero Strixhaven cards because they're not legal. Unbelievable naming convention and just like a tragedy of scheduling. So yeah, it's scheduled. Strixhaven comes out next week, right? Or in a couple days. I'm not actually sure the exact schedule. I haven't haven't written it down. Thursday the 15th it comes out on arena and then like and it comes after out the that. next week okay gotcha. yeah. that, that's where I get mixed up with the arena versus normal release date because they always list their release date in paper even mm-hmm. though I can't it's it's very <laughs> irrelevant to us right now so but I, that's the one that sticks in my head because it's on most of their like product but, stuff sure but yeah so Thursday Strixhaven comes out which obviously means that there are no Strixhaven cards on Magic Arena for the very important MPL weekend last weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, just standard, historic, kind of, whatever. Yeah, the same formats we've watched over and over and over. It was just the same exact same formats as the the set cha- the Caldheim set championship a week before. When is, when is the next MPL weekend? I don't. I think it's not for a while too. Well, there's stuff. Maybe it's the gauntlets that are coming up really soon or something like that. Is that what's happening? Actually, May 15th is a MPL Rivals League weekend. So that's a month after the set comes out. That's fine. That's Old Pro Tours were about, what, three weeks after the set came out? So yeah. a month isn't that bad. Two, three weeks, yeah. It was It was like two weeks from release, right? So it was like three weeks from pre-release and we were like playing with the cards and stuff. Yeah. And again, when... 
I need to stress that pre-releases and releases are meaningless and should be combined. <laughs> but I'll yeah. save that for when it's more relevant. <laughs> you don't love having periods of time on Moto where the only way to get cards is through treasure chests? Yeah, love it. Mm-hmm. Just love it. Or the, I don't know if this happens anymore, but the classic, like, all the reprints in the set are legal to play. Because <laughs> the set is legal, but only reprints are available. So get the old copies of, like, these 10 cards from the set, and you can play them. And so it's just, like, a two-day bizarre standard format. You might think twice when Innistrad was printed, and Think Twice was in the set. You could just mm-hmm. play with Think Twice in your Mana Link decks. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. But, yeah, I mean, we saw the like absolute result of there being no strict saving cards in the set and uh, no strict saving cards in the tournament and us just watching the same formats we've been watching over and over like nobody watched this league weekend so i rarely watch league weekends they're just not that appealing to me as like a spectator thing but i was in the living room playing my switch and streams were on mm-hmm. and we were just switching between like LSV, Gabe, a couple other people. And those streams were so somber. Yeah. Because there's no interaction or anything. Because you can't. You have to be on a, like a huge delay for the yeah. stream. Like 10 so minutes. So you can't interact with your chat at all. So that's like 80 plus percent of the reason for streaming in the first place. That's why these people are enjoyable normally. Because mm-hmm. they like, like interacting and doing stuff based on what people are saying to them. Right. So take all that out. It's really just a LSV or whoever talking through their plays kind of slowly because there's no instant feedback or anything. They're just talking things through by themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. And given that, you know, it was a rough weekend for some of those people, it, it was just like, well, oof, I hope I win the next one. I really, really need to win that one. Right. Yeah, the joy of being in somebody's stream as they, like, realize that they're not in the league next year. Like, it sucks. And it was just like, wow, this is very depressing. I am going to stop watching this and go upstairs. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, they're supposed to be their flagship event. It's just not fun. I mean, this, this one especially, like, no new cards. Like, it's... I think it's also fundamentally way less fun, both for viewers and for the person competing for it, to compete to keep something you already have versus competing to earn something. Because, like, the default assumption of being in MPL Arrivals is that you're going to be in it next year. I mean, I know we relegate, like, a decent number of Rivals and a couple of MPL members, but the, the way that it's kind of presented as like you're in rivals league like play to keep your spot which you know as long as you win most of your matches you'll do and and certainly like i i don't want to imply that the old system was perfect or even like great or anything but each year pro players were working to earn gold or platinum status for the next year and once you hit that threshold you know you're you're gaining points you're adding up to get something and the feeling is just different. You're not like losing something by missing platinum because you never felt like you were like supposed to be platinum the next year. It was always like, I'm going to get enough points to get to the next level if I do things right. So you're earning it. It's it's a different feeling, I feel like, than losing something. 
It, it is for sure. I think that the premise of the MPL like structure is deeply flawed, like you said, but I mean, the whole system wasn't like all bells and whistles either. It just no. had that nice little, uh, you're starting from square zero, but you you start a couple spaces ahead based on where mm-hmm. you were last year. Because you get, all, like all Platinum Pros got invited to every Pro Tour, which was a huge deal. Yeah. Which actually made Bronze, the introduction of the Bronze tier, was actually really big for that system. Yeah, Because it for let sure. entry people play in more events. Right. And then... It, it was so weird introducing bronze and then just a couple years later just completely getting rid of every system that allowed people to get in through pre- uh, premier levels of pro play. Yeah. And like locking out people who had actually earned invites that then didn't really invite them to stuff because they were no longer called pro tours. Like not just the Hall of Fame, but people who had gotten silver or gold like missed out on invites that they should have had. Or even people who play in super PTQs on Magic Online. During right. the coronavirus initial wave. Yeah. And uh, those just didn't happen. The invites they wanted to go to just stopped being relevant. So they're like, ah, hey, you can go to the next arena only thing. Yeah. And then they had to then be basically attacked on social media, Wizards did, mm-hmm. so that they would give those players free accounts so they wouldn't have to spend like, you know, $3,000 or that's probably a huge amount, but not that much for a standard collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's some criticisms of what's going on that are valid. Some criticisms, I think, are more the results of things other than what is directly being criticized. So I think, you know, there there is an attitude of like, oh, man, like relegation sucks. Like, this is unfair that you were in Rivals and now you're not. And... I don't think that that like stands on its own very well, but I think that that feeling is a result of how big of a cliff you fall off of when you leave Rivals League. And if it was, again, I do want to emphasize that the old system also kind of sucked, but if it is, oh no, I'm not gold this year, it's very different from I'm not in Rivals this year. Like you can earn your way back to gold. There is a pathway to it. There's just no way to get into rivals. Like, how how do you do that? I If Kovartic has shown us anything, you spike a PTQ and then just win, like, Every everything. Match. Yeah. <laughs> Not feasible for your, you know, average player. It just kind of wants to play in the Pro Tours and doesn't even necessarily care about being in specifically rivals or MPL, like, as an end goal. Mm-hmm. Which is honestly, I think most pros in the old days were just kind of, I like playing Magic because it's fun and I'm good enough at it, so we'll be in like gold or platinum some years, mm-hmm. but I'm not trying to get platinum every single year. I'm just going to go to as many events as I can, play and do well, and then we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, it really feels like, all right, if I'm in the MPL, I better as hell stay there because there's no way I can know when I'm coming back. Yeah, and there playing in these tournaments that we don't we as viewers don't have any connection to whatsoever like league weekend is just like a okay you're playing magic in a way that like i will never play magic and just isn't related to my experience at all also i can't ever play in that specific tournament but it's also different from anything i've ever played in used to be okay so the gp grind did suck like the gp grind sucked a lot But you'd go to a GP and you would see pros playing in it. You'd be in the same tournament as them. 
you you spike something and you get to go to a pro tour and you get the year like the the pro tour the the tournaments the main tournaments that they're playing in are right there for you to play in if you get a little bit lucky and it's just like there's no connection between people playing magic and pro magic right now it just it feels so out of reach and the structure of the league itself is very odd it's like a viewer because the matches that matter aren't like i'm I've got to win it in for top eight or whatever. That's not how this works. Yeah. The matches that matter are like, I'm three and five. And if I don't win the next one, I'm just completely destroyed. Yeah. And that's not compelling. Like I have to be cheering for someone at three and five. Right. I, I mean, it, it's a system built around not losing rather than winning. Like there's very few winners, you know, Ely Kissy's locked up MPL. He's like the only winner out of rival. Everybody else is just like in the scrum or has been beaten. Like, that's not good for making storylines. And because I didn't, I didn't even know he like Cease made it mm-hmm. after like from Rivals because it was too much to watch. Yeah. Like I couldn't, I couldn't keep going. Well, and the rules are kind of impenetrable. Like I don't understand. Like there's the season isn't like over. I guess it's just that there's some relegation that happens like now, and also like Ely is. Like, he doesn't have to play the next league weekend because he's earned his MPL spot, which is really weird. Like, you take your best player out of the So does league. the MPL need to play the next MPL weekend? Because that's... I, I don't understand. Like, what's I don't, the purpose of the weekend if you're not playing Well, it? but the purpose of the league is to decide the next year's league. So, like, I think it he's not playing in either. I don't I don't know how it works. It's, it's totally imparsable to me, so... I know that he's not playing in the Rivals League next weekend, or, you know, in a month. Wow, that's bizarre. It also hurts, like, so, I, I watched a lot of fighting games, so I'll make fighting game comparisons all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just how my brain works. But one thing that I really like about watching fighting games at base value, it's really easy to see who's winning and losing, because the health bars are always on top of the screen. <laughs> You, you can just tell who's winning and who's losing. And if someone's like at like 10% of their health, you want them to win and make a comeback, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, you can just tell by look, glancing at the screen. Yeah. And usually those tournaments are all like Swiss or bracketed so that you can see. It's an easy path to see how you become the champion, right? Mm-hmm. Clear, simple, easy to watch. Fighting game tournaments are fantastic. I don't understand how this magic tournament works at all. It's just it's not, not a compelling. tournament. I mean, it's not even a tournament. Well, it's... but if it's not a tournament, like, why would I want to watch it? Like, yeah. Having the tag or, like, the draw to the tournament being watch the best players play against each other week after week is not good when I can do that almost any day of the week. I can tune into Nassif's stream and watch him play Magic. And maybe mm-hmm. he's not playing against the best in the world, but honestly, it doesn't even really matter. Yeah. Because I would rather watch Nassif play against whatever he's playing on stream with whoever he's playing against any day of the week than I would, again, watching him in that MPL weekend where he was just being miserable. Yeah, I mean, he gets to play at High Mythic and explain his lines, and, like, that's what, like, that's pretty close to the experience that you want. Yeah, I mean, it is weird having the weekends not be a tournament structure because you don't do the selection that a tournament does, and then the players who are best prepared with the best decks for the weekend end up playing each other towards the end of the tournament, whether that's in the final rounds of Swiss or in the elimination rounds. So it not being a tournament structure, like, yeah, there there are ways to make every match matter for like points or whatever, but I think that you got to have a winner every weekend. 
Like, don't not have a winner of your marquee tournament series. It, it just feels like every time these matches, these league weekends happen, they just happen, and then they're over, and they didn't have any real significance to me. You don't get a uh, congratulations to X the winner of this thing, like because there's no winner. And I know that it does matter to these players like a lot of because course. they know exactly how many wins and losses they can take because they want to be in the NPL do next year. Because, of course, the point of the league is to not win, but just win enough. Yeah, and it is really weird that winning enough is directly tied to the performance of the other people in the league, such that players are incentivized to root against their friends and stuff, which is, I'm sure, a terrible feeling because a lot of these people know each other and have been playing Magic with each other for years. And, and that alone is not necessarily the most important thing, but it is a weird spot to put people in. And I do think that, like, relegation is... Obviously, people have to be shuffled in and out of the league, but the fact that pretty much the only thing that matters is internal league play of the like the 24 MPL players against each other, that means that like even if they still are the 24 best players at the end of the year, like even if they're way better than numbers 25 through 28 or whatever, still X players have to leave the MPL. Obviously, this isn't a realistic thing like there's no way to measure who is the best player but it is weird that there's no like performance that the players in the league could have as a whole that is good enough to like keep them all in the league even if they are all the best players incentives for this whole mpl thing are just so weird it feels like the mpl could exist as a tier like platinum did where you're just like on top of the world and you can play and like show matches and whatever and stuff but all of the what the MPL is now, where you're just playing to keep getting your paycheck from Wizards, mm-hmm. it's good for the players because they're getting money. But who else is it for? Yeah, it's so boring. Like it just doesn't inspire stories. I mean, and and certainly some of this is that like. You lose things when everybody is playing the tournament from home and you don't hear about storylines and stuff that happened as a result of travel. And Ben Stark is not going to like barely show up in time to play his team sealed match or whatever. So like some of those things are lost. Sure. But also, yes, building up players and having like recognizable names is really helpful for branding and and storytelling in that way. But when it's just like, oh, my God, it's the same ones as like when the MPL started years ago like it it just ends up being so repetitive and not like I I really do think that a tier based system more similar to the old pro levels makes more sense have everybody be able to earn points towards getting this and then have a, a threshold and not necessarily even a certain number of slots but have a threshold of points that you earn by playing like different levels of events. And I think like arena needs to have way more events than just like ladder up. If you're in top 1200, you get to play in this a weekend. Like people love events. Give me events where I can qualify for this weekend that awards like a bunch of gems or whatever, and also gives me some of these points and stuff. And then if you do well in that, it qualifies you for the next thing. Like give me stuff to climb, give me events to climb, not a stupid ladder. The ladders are horrendous. I could talk about that at length, but I won't. <laughs> this time yeah there's also 
I, I'm also open to the idea of like multiple divisions of tournaments going on. Mm-hmm. So like if you're on the MPL tier, like you can have additional events that are open for you. So you have more chance to play in big tournaments yeah. with, that are more restricted to those mm-hmm. like caliber flares and up or whatever. Right. But then you're just playing in a, the goal of getting to the MPL is you get to play in those events. Right. Not that you are desperately trying to claw and hold your way into the MPL. Right. Right. It's more of a, instead of making it to platinum this year, I made it to MPL. So I get, I get all the, the cool tournaments that I can play in now that the lower class can't. Right. And, and similar to how platinum was like a lot of that was gold too. Like you're qualified for these tournaments you have more opportunities to earn points. So you do have some momentum. You have some sticking power to stay at the status you are at. You have that advantage, but it's not, you know, specific numbers of people stay in specific numbers of people get kicked out. It's just, you know, a little more exclusive than the pro tours. Now we have these smaller things that happen every once in a while that maybe you can qualify for through other methods other than just being in the MPL, but the MPL is queued for all of them. So they definitely have the opportunity to earn those points. Yeah. Kind of like the, the arena tournaments when this MPL started, like Mm -hmm. it it invited MPL, everyone in the MPL and like some other people, some like discretionary invites. Some people got in from ladder one time, just like whatever, but on a more expanded scale and not have like. Well, and the the numbers have to be right. Cause if I remember right, like those, like the, the points that certain tournaments awarded just like vastly overshadowed points yes. from other places. It was poorly thought out for sure. Right. And so obviously like I'm not even if like Wizards was going to wholesale adopt this idea, I don't really trust them to come up with the right numbers for this thing. But in a in an ideal world, I think like we would all be competing for basically pro points and there would just be a bunch of different ways to earn the pro points and MPL players and Rivals players would have more opportunities, but you can earn your way up to that level, and there's a visible path to do that. And I'm fine with the MPL and Rivals just being really, really hard to get to under that system, as long as it's, you know, not the MPL and Rivals players just staying there every year until they do poor enough to fall out. I think that's a really poor way to incentivize your players and your like viewer base like why why would i watch an npl league weekend they're not that entertaining they're they're just not it it sucks it's not fun like you know if there's a specific number of pro points that you need to hit to be in the npl next year then you have compelling stories for like every tournament at x point in the season where it's like oh look this player is you know three points away like if he wins this match then then he's locked for npl next year like like that's exciting to see and then you just have those those moments over and over obviously like the difficult there is that difficulty that they had to do with like the rotating seasons to fix the like doing well at the beginning of the season was great and meant you wanted to play all the tournaments doing badly at the beginning of the season meant like you might as well take the whole season off thing which yeah but but these are all logistical things that are are you can deal with especially if it's like all handled within arena and you have a UI and you have a thing like tracking points and seasons and stuff that makes sense. And you can see like that would make it much easier than it was in real life to do that. And I don't want to be too hard on wizards like for this, because I think it is 
extremely incredibly difficult to get like points working correctly mm-hmm. like amounts and numbers and incentives and like tournament structures are weird too like all that stuff is really difficult yeah. but i do know that under the current system we have now the mpl players do not seem to be enjoying themselves for the vast majority of them nobody wants to watch no them. one's really watching them and like i this is supposed to be for advertisements so like what are we doing here it's not meeting its goals to me it also makes the pro tours not matter to them because so few points are up for grabs in those tournaments compared to the The league weekends compared to the league weekends so they it just like doesn't really matter as opposed to them being the the four events per year that actually mattered and i like the set championships i I think they're fun to watch because they're more traditional tournament uh structure and it's really clear to build storylines and see who's winning. Mm-hmm. And, and then the problem is that somebody can win one of those. And like, I don't know what, like, what is Arnie Hushin's best status for next year? Like, what is I, that? He's not, that doesn't like put him into rivals, right? That puts him into a, or maybe that does put him into rivals because he was like a best performing challenger and the, or something like that. That like puts him into the gauntlet, which then like locks him for rivals, maybe is what happens. But I don't know. It's so it's also opaque. Yeah, and then if it's if his reward for it is just like the gauntlet thing to get out of the MPL, then he's like on his way to the miserable system that our current pros have experienced this past weekend, right? And that doesn't right. sound super good for a successful weekend. Right. Unless you just want to like grab your paycheck and play magic and not do it that seriously which i think uh is what bbd decided to do last year yeah ben Stark too. super super burnout automatic just like all right i'm just gonna play these magic legally i'm not gonna care too much about them i'm in the mpl i'm gonna collect my check i'm gonna play magic mm-hmm. but i'm not going to stress over staying in the league it's just not worth the emotional stress mm-hmm. and i'm like good for you bbd when i read that yeah can't blame him at all like Definitely. I also, you know, we mentioned this earlier, but the like scheduling is just totally atrocious. Just like the when we are playing a new format, when like we kept playing these like burnt out ancient formats in these tournaments, and that's not going to invite viewership. Like I think one tool that they could use is the fact that, okay, you are playing a paying a bunch of players a salary. Like you can have them play a league weekend with a brand new set with like not very much time to prepare. Like that's a reasonable expectation to put onto people that you're paying a salary to play the game. Like people will show up with decks that aren't very good or are like untuned or just like kind of don't work in this new metagame. And that's like fine. Like that's fun to see that kind of happen. Even. Yeah. Like exploration is the main premise of card games. Mm-hmm. That's why you don't don't get like completed decks sold to you you get cards sold to you and you're trying to build them up right so forcing a bunch of pros to do all this instead of just tuning decks this is april 10th call time came out in january yeah so (laughs) yeah good lord and like this standard was good but it's so hard to like keep going with that storyline. Like it's it's a fun standard to play in with a bunch of churn and there's like interesting decisions to make personally. It's really hard to like keep that going on coverage tournament after tournament after tournament. And like how many rogues mirrors are you willing to right. like tune into? Right. No, I, I agree completely. They could even give, you know, here, set up a private server private arena server for you to test on 
I, I guess it's kind of hard because you need people to play against, but like... Well, just open it to the whole MPL, make it private accounts so it's not like mm-hmm. LSV versus whoever. Yeah. Just have, you know, name them after legendary creatures. It's Fibblethip versus... Well, and give D- you a second chaos. account so you can have a testing partner or whatever, and then like like have a strixhaven league weekend like the pre-release weekend or whatever nobody's actually gotten to play with these cards see what the pros have done with them like in secret or whatever yeah like if i were in charge of this league like last weekend's league i would just been like we're not doing split format we're gonna do historic and we're gonna do uh after this strixhaven set comes out because that'll be the most shakeup and Mm -hmm. people will be incentivized to tune in now that super duper sucks for the players because they really can't afford to lose right but then you're just creating these like perverse incentives where you'd want your players to feel like they are treated like well enough to keep playing your game for advertisement but you also want to be advertising things that people want to watch for sure yeah and i mean improving arena's technology can be a big part of that too like limited is so much more watchable it's so much easier to watch somebody draft digitally than to draft in paper we saw the coverage of the mocks and how awesome that was to be able to see all their picks which you can't do in paper set up arena you know give us the spectator mode that you're refusing to implement have a draft spectator mode have limited tournaments where we can cover a player's draft and see their deck developing and you know do that awesome thing that athena set up where you see the decks of the players next to them like yeah. give us that maybe people still won't watch limited but i'll be really really happy there's like no reason not to do a gp reduke with limited mm-hmm. if you're willing to invest like the money to set up yeah pro- like stuff that people want to watch like i would yeah. definitely do the draft viewer thing and you can also like we can have these it, rather than having every split format event be standard and historic you can space them out so we're not just like watching the same formats over and over again. You know, new set comes out. It's time for standard. Standard gets a little stale. It's time for historic. And then your second format, because I think split event formats are are great, but your second format of the split format can be the limited format or it can be arena cube. Yeah. Like you can do whatever. It's digital. And I think that would be sick. I, I, I do too. I... <laughs> Split formats are great split format tournaments. I really enjoyed playing in the couple I played in. And they are good viewing because if you don't care for you know one of them, you get start to get bored towards the end. It just switches mm-hmm. to another format and you're good to go. Yeah. Uh it's it was really, really hard to work on that for uh paper pro tours because mm-hmm. the draft was just too inscrutable. Like yeah. everyone drafted and then you came back and you're watching a random pile of cards that you didn't know who drafted it or like what their deck was like. And then you just like kind of watch them play. And it was really easy to just turn it off and come yep. back the next day. But if you just implement a way to follow someone through the draft, you get engagement. And I, I don't know, when I was learning how to draft, I would read the articles on the Magic the Gathering Mothership mm-hmm. and be like, okay, I want to draft this deck. I'm going to just like write down i was very young so <laughs> i'm gonna write down these pick orders and i'm gonna remember what cards to pick and then i'm just gonna draft the deck in the article and that's mm-hmm. not how draft works but that's i saw those articles and they were all laid out and they had a ton of pictures and i'm like this looks fun i want to do this 
Yeah. There's no reason why that can't be part of the Pro Tour. I, I, yeah. Obviously, I'm partial to limited and I want more limited, but I do think that a lot of the problems with limited coverage are fixed in a digital environment. Watching the mocks like showed how it could be done. It, it, it exists, and that was fun. Watching that cube draft was really, really fun. Make it a part of competitive magic. Like, just come on, please. I'm begging. It was so good to see the, the people next to them drafting. That was so well set up. Oh my god, I know. It was chef's kiss. Especially since the first draft was just someone drafting an insane monorail deck against the guy who was struggling to put together his like blue pile. Yes. <laughs> and you could just see in the bottom left corner, oh, that guy is going to crush this draft. <laughs> <laughs> you know, world that's storytelling. Like that's a storyline developing in front of your eyes that we just got basically none of with the MPL weekends. And that was a really small tournament too. There were only eight people in those tournaments. Yeah. So it's not impossible to make tournaments that are fun to watch with a few number of people. MPL is 24 people. That's three drafts. Perfect. <laughs> but also, uh, so one other thing that I do have a criticism for is the league weekends where MPL only plays against MPL and rivals only play against rivals. Like this doesn't really make very much sense to me. Like shouldn't the rivals be playing against the people who are the best in the world to like prove themselves and they get basically no opportunity. You know, if we're treating this as a like ladder climbing system where you're really trying to become the best, I mean, I guess it's similar to how like soccer leagues work where you do really well and then you get moved up a league or you do badly and you get moved down a league. But Magic isn't really like that. And I think it makes much more sense for the Rivals players to play against the MPL players and for challengers to play against Rivals and MPL players to, you know, sort of show they've got what it takes. Yeah, I think their intention with Rivals MPL was to have two different, like, actual leagues. That's why mm -hmm. they're called MPL League, Rival League. Right. I think one of them was supposed to be the minor league, one was supposed to be the major league. Mm -hmm. And those will play against each other because it would be, like, unfair or something. Right. But, again, that's not really how magic works. And even if that's what they wanted to do, the whole messaging around it is super vague and unclear. Yeah. Like, it's not obvious that that's how it's supposed to be. Because that's not how it is with, like, the Pro Tours. Like, they, no. they play their league weekends by themselves, and then they all get thrown in with challengers into the, the set championships. So where's the consistency? Yeah, like, if I tell you that instead of NPL and Rivals, we just named it the Major League and the Minor League, you'd be like, okay, I understand why those people aren't playing against each other, because that's got, you know, a bunch of applications in the real world. Mm -hmm. But this just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why are the NPL and the Rivals only playing against each other? I don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you know, that's why I think like whatever replaces the league weekends should be a thing that is smaller in size than a pro tour, but like people can earn their way into and involves like all of the MPL and rivals and is a tournament, not this like weird round robin thing that also messed up some players who, you know, had wins against people who then left the league, but then weren't able. So then they didn't play against everybody in the league so like you get wins retroactively taken away from you which may not have actually made the difference for anybody but still feels like a really weird solution to that and if you just had your weekends be tournaments like yeah it's not an issue it, yeah. yeah it's pretty weird especially since people when they leave the mpl arrivals it's pretty much getting hired by wizards or fired right. by wizards like those right. are the only two options <laughs> yeah so it's like, 
the hand of God reaching in and like fudging up all the results. So, yeah, a lot of stuff. I, I, I think that there's just a million things that need to get fixed here. Scheduling wise, the league weekends need to be something completely different. The way that players play for stuff, I think just needs to not be like try to get enough wins that you don't get relegated. I just want to like hold on tight to what I've got. It's not fun to watch and it does feel bad when the players get like 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 sparta kicked off the ledge of rivals league i also feel super bad for the players that have to play in these because they're invested and want to keep you know their paycheck Mm -hmm. so they have to care a lot which means that their record at like three and five just matters so so much yep and it's one matches the difference between like sixty thousand dollars and zero (laughs) dollars And basically for a whole year. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so much pressure. Yeah. And you know that that's... I, I narrowed it down to a single match there, but it's realistically like that every single weekend because every weekend matters. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, I, I do think that competition should be tough and it should be fearsome and, like, there should be pressure and you sh- there you should have real incentives to win your matches and you should have real incentive to prepare properly for the event. But when you do get to the point that it's just like nobody is having fun on these weekends because it's just all stress and it's not fun because you're not you're not playing for a trophy. You're not playing for anything that like gets logged in your Magic Player Wikipedia entry or anything like that. You're just trying to get like one more win because the person you're tied with, you know, got one more win and you're just trying to keep up with them. And it's like, this isn't fun. they're not having fun playing it and it's inscrutable so we're not having fun watching it yeah and but i mean wizard still needs to do a lot outside of just the the nba itself like arena uh, hasn't been improved in a a long time now and it really really needs it it's unacceptable completely unacceptable to have the matches get restarted or a player dropped whenever something goes wrong with technology because there's just no way to recover a game or anything yeah I my understanding is what they did is, you know, Arena got developed and then they like got rid of most of the development team that worked on like individual features and stuff. And so the 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 staff that they have left for Arena, they are pretty much limited in their ability. Like the only thing that they have the capability of doing, given the number of people that they have, is adding new cards and releasing new sets. And that's like they're stretched thin doing that so they just don't have the manpower to fix things or introduce new features which is not good for the program going forward no but here's an idea like they took two million dollars out of prize money for this year yeah so just use that money to hire people to work on your program because you're clearly not giving it back (laughs) so here's the thing that really bugs me about you know like People will make criticisms of Watsi decisions and, and things like that and be loud about it. And then there's like almost always a certain level of backlash on Twitter. Like, remember, the people who work at Wizards are people, too. So be nice. And it's like we are not I am not criticizing Athena or Ian Duke or I'm not even criticizing Mark Rosewater. Like, yeah, we've had some bad stuff happen in the, the development of sets. I, but like, I heard a tweet that 
And whenever someone falls out of the MPL, Mark Rosario takes them out of the back and shoots them. So. Oh, wow. Well, okay, then maybe I do have a problem with Mark Rosario <laughs> because I am anti-violent. But my criticism of Watsi every time I level it is never to anybody individually like doing a bad job. It is basically almost always like Wizards needs to fund this thing that clearly is being left by the wayside. What is really clear here is, okay, so so the, the Ali Warfield, the obituary thread. Yeah. Do you, do you want to recap this for people who don't smartly stay off of Twitter? Yeah. So on Twitter, after this league weekend, a bunch of players got relegated, including dropping out of Rivals League. And so they did a goodbye thread that like was like a one-tweet summary of them as Magic players or something. And not even as Magic players. It was really just like stuff that was on top of their head when they like thought about the name some of it had very little to do what you would associate uh, a player with like for instance ben starks was just like oh and goodbye to ben stark i don't think they even mentioned being in the hall of fame just we don't get his stories anymore and i'm like what 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 was that right like the well because the main thing you can talk about with ben stark is he's one of the best drafters of all time and you didn't let him draft the whole time that he was in your league. So, you know, I, you can't really tweet about completely screwing over one of the best players by not letting them play their format. So, And and obviously the most egregious example here is their tweet about Allie Warfield, where they like called her the, the one true master of Embercleave and that she was more memorable than a brushfire elemental wielding a sword. So clearly this was a tweet made by somebody who is thinking of Emma or Autumn, who both played a lot of gruel worked together on gruel decks and had a lot of success with gruel in league play and so clearly they just like mixed that up and then they lied about it when somebody called them out on it and like that's absolutely what happened and it was super weird yeah for the yeah for the record for the record in case that wasn't clear ali never ever registered Evercleave in any of the league weekends right and and the they said that they made the tweet because she had like tweeted about Embercleave, but if you like search Embercleave and then search the like colon and then the user is Allie Warfield, like all of her tweets are just like, fuck this card. Yeah, God, I hate this card. <laughs> so maybe maybe that wasn't a true thing that they said about why they made the tweet that way. But when I'm when I'm criticizing that. I'm not saying, like, whoever's behind the keyboard of this Twitter account, like, should be fired. I'm saying, like, obviously whoever is behind the keyboard of that Twitter account got, like, told at, like, 7 p.m., like, oh, make some tweets about the people who who got kicked out of the league. And, like, I, I guess they didn't get told don't make them sound like actual obituaries for people that died because that's and what I'm happened. And I'm sure, I'm sure they're like, oh, did you have, do you have any, like, information for you? Like, you used to put these tweets together? And they're like, nah, just, like, wait. You have Google, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, so my criticism isn't like, oh man, this person, this like intern that they put on it, probably unpaid doing this for college credit, like did a terrible job. My criticism is like wizards fucking fund this shit, like put resources into the things you do. Your social media presence is an absolute joke. The magic esports Twitter account just doesn't know what's going on because you haven't put the resources into having a trained 
social media team assigned to it doing good things with it. Like you don't engage with the community. You, you haven't set up a proper social media team. You don't understand how to set up a league structure because you haven't put the resources into retaining the people who understand how to run an esports or high level TCG league. Like it's just set up amateurishly because you're not putting the resources into it. And that's what I'm mad about. Like I'm not mad about anybody individually because Everybody working it individually at Wizards is probably shouldering more responsibilities than they should be, is probably being paid less than they should be, and isn't being given the training that they should be given to do these sorts of things. That's that's my criticism. And their whole social media snafus in the last month or so are just lighthearted things that people took really seriously because they just have earned zero goodwill. Right. Like, yeah. why am I, why am I going to not flip out over some stupid Tron joke if I don't like it? Because what has the esports account done for me? Just like straight up nothing. They don't engage with the community at all unless it's just to randomly attack me. I don't, I don't get it. Why, what? Yeah. And, and why, why would I not respond to Ian Duke talking about where Arita's development time is going? If you have never given me any information about your plans on Arena, like no information comes out of Watsi for these things. So obviously we're going to take any information that comes from an individual and sort of run with it. That's all we've got. Yeah. And I, uh, it's, it's, I'm never criticizing individuals. No, I mean, they're in, especially the more publicly facing people at Watsi are put into an impossible position by the company like abandoning them on these things and not funding what they need to fund. Like for instance, I made mean, a joke about Rosewater earlier, but he does so much unpaid work for wizards. It's unreal. Right. And they must love him. Like all the, the head of right. Watsi. They're the, just ha- like, oh, the, the Hasbros. Yeah. The, the, the brothers has. <laughs> Thank God we have Mark just doing all this free PR work for us. Ugh, this is just a huge boon we don't have to pay for. Yep. Oh, 100%. And I feel like they unjustly extended that to most of their staff. Yeah. Not with PR specifically, but with just a job duties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So, you know, when you are at work and you feel your responsibilities being shifted into an area that you're not qualified for and not getting paid for, you know, don't let that happen. It just, it'll only get worse. And of course it's hard to say no to stuff. Kind of put food on the table. We're in this culture where like, you're supposed to feel gratitude for your job, which I think is disgusting and horrifying. Yep. It's it's such a good thing. I don't my employers listen to magic podcasts. Oh yes. Correct. (laughs) Do you have anything else you want to say about OP? You want to talk about the early access stuff before we jump into this talk? Oh, sure. So early access got canceled, but like killed in a really quiet way. People were like, so are we doing early access? How do we do it? Like, what are the instructions for it? And then in the like discord where Watsi had told everybody to join, but had never posted anything. They were like, oh yeah, it's, it's canceled. We, we're not doing it. And like, every, everyone just like looked both ways and was like what what <laughs> yeah you know just a solid like 
day, 48 hours or something like that before the event that people found out that it wasn't happening. I think that early access event was like kind of a silly thing anyways. So like if they had actually after call times early access been like, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. It's not it's not really doing the things we wanted to do with it. I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Doing it this way when like people had prepared for it and set time aside and stuff and were excited about it and then just being like, nah, you can't do it. That's like really messed up. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I agree. If they had just done this one for Strixhaven and been like, yeah, we're doing this one. But, you know, for the D&D Forgotten Realms set, we're not doing it anymore. We're just nixing the program. People mm-hmm. would have been like, oh, they're getting rid of this. I really liked it. But they wouldn't have had the, the, the amount of outrage that right. just canceling something last minute was. What really bothered me about this was the bigger creators coming out and tweeting like, no, it's it's fine, whatever. It's not a big deal. Like early access like kind of sucked anyways. It's like it, it doesn't wasn't, affect me. <laughs> right. It's it's literally because it didn't affect them. Like the biggest streamers and probably like the smallest streamers who like stream and maybe a couple of friends show up, it probably it probably doesn't affect them very much. But the biggest streamers, it didn't affect them at all. But for like medium-sized streamers, especially people who do not do this full time and had maybe set aside a day, maybe like taken off of work or something, put a bunch of time into like getting decks ready to play. Like, come on, have a little empathy for those people. Like, it just, like, really boiled my blood to see the bigger creators be like, everybody chill, like, relax. Like, it, you, like, God, come on. Like, I'm not, I'm not in this. Stay up there on your giant mountain and leave the rest of us alone. <laughs> I'm not in this. It literally doesn't affect me at all, except that I don't get to watch some people play best of one of a format that, like, is not the is thing that I'm interested in. quickly irrelevant. Right. Like, but I still can grasp like this sucks for a bunch of people like really sucks yeah i watched the very first early showcase but then i pretty much never watched them because i learned that they were pretty irrelevant mm-hmm. like it's if you like a person and you watch the stream it's it's fine like that's just its own reason to watch but if you're trying to word, watch for early access stuff i didn't really get a lot from it personally mm-hmm. because people were just playing Best of one, really untuned decks that were never good. Right. I remember when the last core set came out, or whichever one had Flood of Tears in it, everyone was like, oh god, this Flood of Tears deck's insane. I just and never saw play. Flood of Tears is never has never been playable. Right. And like there's a gentleman's agreement, gentlemen and gentlewomen's agreement, you know, not to play the un- you know, nobody's playing Ember Cleaves. And it's just like, well, it looks like everybody is playing a deck that cannot possibly beat an Embercleave deck today. And no one is playing just, you know, Team or Adventures because right, why would boring. we play that? Yeah. Right. So, like, you know, I mean, that's all criticism of the early access thing. You know, it just wasn't really for us. But it's still very easy to recognize, like, this was not the way to handle it. It sucked for some people. And from what I understand, the reason it didn't happen is, like, the person who kind of runs that whole thing they were sick or they had a family thing or something like that that meant they weren't going to be available for it so they couldn't run it so this all comes back to an understaffing under financing problem where like we can't run this because one person is sick are you fucking kidding me well they probably decided not to run it a while ago but one person like went home for a family thing and it's like okay y'all take care of my work or whatever but Mm -hmm. everyone's so overloaded that it just fell through the cracks and just everyone forgot about it 
right until someone got oh, oh wait we should send an email out to these streamers it's like two days and they, they want their early access codes yeah and right and it's just a complete like underfunding understaffing problem like come on just like you keep you keep going to these shareholder meetings and making it clear that watsi has had its best year ever again like arena is raking in money hand over fist please please fund your shit <sighs> all right i'm mad so let's talk about historic <laughs> yeah let's talk about historic i am legitimately super excited to play historic i we're at least gonna have like a couple of days of that like wonderful exploratory fun time and i'm not gonna miss it. i'm actually planning on streaming uh starting on the 15th so uh that is that is my plan i don't know how long i'm gonna keep up with it but i do want to do some can I be playing only Phoenix? I I had that thought, like, what if I just play every single different iteration of <laughs> possible Phoenix decks and, like, try to work through it and, like, come out at the end with, like, a perfectly honed Phoenix machine? But I, that's probably not going to be very fun for people to watch. And also, like, I want to try a bunch of different stuff, so. That's also very hubris. Yes. Like, there's no way one person's build could be better than 50,000 people working on the same deck. Oh, no, of course not. And and also, like, that's not how decks work. Like, they're going to, the proper build is going to be different each week. But I, I do want to spend some time and figure out, like, what's the best, like, base engine for a Phoenix deck to be playing in Historic? So I'll certainly work on that some. Yeah, I'm also, it, it's really, really hard for me to reinvest basically money back into arena and play more historic so mm -hmm. that'll be i haven't decided how deep i'm willing to go on playing historic but i am really interested in watching it for yes. the first time in since jumpstart was released definitely so i figured we'd take a minute and go over like the existing decks in historic because they're certainly not going to go away they're well tuned uh particularly after this past league weekend we did see at least one exciting new ish deck that is likely only going to get better with the release of Strixhaven and the Mystical Archive. So everything certainly happens in the context of the decks that already exist. So, you know, we have Jun Food, solid, strong choice. Ors of Auras has gotten pretty developed and refined down. We're not playing like stuff like Alcid or Selfless Savior anymore. It's really a mulligan to your Mulligan down to your Sram or Core Spirit Dancer and aura it up and draw a million cards. There's Teferi decks, Dreadhorde Argonist, Gruul, Goblins. And we did see like the new iteration of Sultai Ultimatum, which I think was a, a Brent Voss deck that a bunch of players took. That really hardcore ramp deck, 60 cards, not a Yorion deck, not trying to play a grindy game at all. Just because its piles with Emergent Ultimatum are so powerful in Historic. And that iteration of the deck looked very good and was a great choice this weekend and will be a thing that people are going to try to do going forward, especially because you get to put Time Warp in there and guarantee that your Emergent Ultimatum gets you a turn and a thing. Yeah, really, really powerful. So that's the context that everything is happening in, and this is some really powerful stuff. So we got some really cool new toys, but you do have to have in the back of your head, like, okay, let's be realistic. Like, can we just play Sultai? You know, what's like some brainstorms and like, how, how can we do this? You know? Right. And how are we beating Sultai Ultimatum that ramps hard and now has brainstorms? How are we beating Orzov Auras 
if they're if they or up a guy, you're not going to kill them with phoenixes. You're gonna you're gonna die. You need to have a plan for all of these things. So, um, you know, just trying to stay a little bit grounded, but mostly diving into possibilities with this this sort of like review of things that we are excited about. Yeah, and I know you want to start with Phoenix because you love that card. So, I mean, I just put it first. We don't have to start with it. We could start with a deck that you are excited no, about. No, we're, we're going to start with Phoenix. I actually liked Phoenix too, mm-hmm. but I know I don't like it as much as you do, so I just let you write about it. Right. Also, KCI was legal for like most of the time that Phoenix was, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we got Faithless Looting, we got Brainstorm, so... That gives you a start. Like, okay, we have the one mana cantrips now to reliably trigger Phoenix for like three mana very often. And a way easier way to put it in our graveyard than having to play a lot of charter courses. And is it charms? And lightning so, axe. Yes. Although I think you probably are still supposed to play a lot of lightning axes. Yeah, but it's not your only thing anymore. Right. But it is probably like the second most efficient way mm-hmm. to get Phoenixes into your graveyard. So I think there's a lot of like specific questions that you need to ask before or during your development of your Phoenix deck. There's like a set of components that kind of goes into it. You know, you've got your cantrips, you've got your discard outlets. You know, what is the right number of discard outlets to have? Do we need stuff like Charter Course in the deck anymore? Is it still good enough that, yeah, okay, this is a powerful enough effect that I do want it, even though I have a decent number of discard effects? Or is it just, you know, I really don't like having two mana cantrips in my deck. I would prefer not to have Charter Course if I can afford not to. Modern Phoenix had literally only Faithless Looting and maybe like a Lightning Axe or something. Like you just trusted your deck to give you the Faithless Lootings to discard the Phoenixes and that was good. This deck isn't going to be able to dig quite as hard and and guarantee things that way, but I believe that you are going to be able to run fewer discard outlets than a lot of the lists that I've seen have been leaning into. You also had Thoughtscour in Modern Phoenix, which is pretty cool. Because it was a yeah. spell that you could flip into Phoenix. It was like kind of random, right? But it happened every now and then. But it's mostly right. just a one mana cantrip. Uh, which you actually pointed out before the show was in Jumpstart. But yes. <laughs> didn't make it onto Arena. Probably for the best. Thought Scour plus Brainstorm in a Phoenix deck would be a wild ride for us to be on for a little while, I think. Yeah, it's just the decisions they made between Jumpstart and Mystical Archive had to have been made by different teams. Because it's like, all right, Thought Scour, too good. Four months later, six months later. Brainstorm, yeah, throw that thing in. One other thing that you need to decide is how aggressive of a deck are you going to be playing? So our our two, like, existing Phoenix decks, the one from Modern versus the Pioneer one, the Modern one, like, yes, obviously there's disruptive elements, but primarily it's a deck that game one exists to present threats and present combat damage as quickly as possible. There's a two-mana card that deals seven damage on turn three if you have a Mana Morphos. You dig for your Phoenixes and you get attacking. And there's very few pure card advantage engines in the deck. You're not running a bunch of Finale of Promise or anything like that. You're just trying to be as lean and as powerful as possible. And I think the existence of Faithless Looting lets you get away with not having real card advantage in the deck because once you go to the late game, you still can easily gas back up with your ridiculous flashback spell. Yeah, and your your 
advantage card was just pyromancer ascension for a while mm-hmm. which is one of the most ridiculous cards to have online in all of magic yeah it's true i i never really viewed that as like a card advantage plan though it's just like two drops five and six you know oh kind of. yeah for sure it's, it's not a real it's not like okay this is my my harmonize my divination kind of card it's right. like uh i'm gonna play this because i need to play something and it just becomes an insurmountable threat later yes. in the game and that, then you have the other end of the spectrum which are the pioneer phoenix decks which are just a totally different animal the cantrips are less efficient the discarding is less efficient but the card advantage is so powerful because you have treasure crews so you play the deck in a super different way where basically the deck is good as long as there's things to shock that progress your game plan. And then the deck is fantastic against like the Soul artifact deck. You just kill all their stuff and win. It's not so good when shocking is just kind of useless and your opponent has a couple of removal spells that are good against you. And then they play it to fairy and yeah, you can treasure cruise, but like I just drew all these shocks and a strategic planning. Like, what am I going to do? So I think that given the cards that we have access to, since Faithless Looting and Brainstorm are so efficient uh, and our card advantage engines are so much worse, Finale of Promise is a great card and I love casting it, but it's no treasure cruise. (laughs) So I would definitely lean towards hoping that I can build this to be an aggressive, like get you dead deck with just enough disruptive elements to mess up what my opponent is doing. So that's why my like initial builds... I'm definitely going to start with like four Sprite Dragons. I think you'd be crazy to run fewer than that if this is your goal. I might even want Soulscar Mage in there to kick things off and like get that damage in because every couple of points of damage really matters if you're just trying to kill them with Phoenixes and stuff. That's where I would lean, but there are also options for playing longer games potentially with stuff like if you choose Magmatic Channeler as your two drop, and then you use some of these engine cards like Finale of Promise, maybe more Crackling Drakes. I think probably some number of Ox of Agonis go into most builds of the deck because that refill is so powerful and Faithless Suiting is a really, really good <laughs> combo with Ox of Agonis that we've never been able to play in any format before. And I've also seen like PV posted a list that had collected Conjuring in it because apparently that is legal. Oh, it was in the in last historic. historic anthology. Yeah, but that card's garbage. Yeah, it is garbage. But you can brainstorm two sorceries to the top of your library and then cast a cast them with collected conjuring. I don't think it's likely to be good, but it does have the benefit of doing the same thing that Finale of Promise does, which is it counts as three spells when you get it off. So th- there's something there. I would prefer to build the deck as aggressive as possible. Up to and including the point where I've been considering, and I will certainly try, mono-red builds. Maybe like Hollow One type of stuff. Uh, Definitely Soulscar Mage, where you have ways of applying pressure and then the Phoenixes come in at some point and help to finish things off. Because I think it is going to be really important to be able to play around hate. And the hate that I'm most worried about is Grafdigger's Cage Rest in Peace. Grafdigger's Cage because it can be main deck in a lot of decks too and is good against a huge swath of the format Mm -hmm. and also extinction event and so i I have some caution about being on all like fairy dragon or sprite dragon arclight phoenix and then just getting like having extinction event just be good every single turn they every single time they cast it on turn three just get wrecked by it so maybe something more aggressive with stuff like soul scar mage to get in that damage early uh could be a thing 
Yeah, it is really awkward when Extinction shuts off your whole curve because you're twos and fours. <laughs> is there right. a three or a five that's useful to play in that kind of spell casting sphere? Well, Ox is a five. Yeah, but you're never going to close a game with a five three ground pounder. Probably not. Um, There are three mana. There's like a couple of three mana phoenixes that are probably playable that, you know, there's like the escape phoenix and stuff. Sure. Yeah, you could play one of those. I'd mostly want something that dodges Gravedigger's Cage. Sure. So not necessarily like another phoenix. Yeah, I mean, like Sprite Sprite Dragon is like my, like, yeah. this is the best card versus Gravedigger's Cage type hate. Same thing with Crackling Drake, but that's also an even. Um, I don't know. You know, like Enigma Drake is not what I want. That card seems really bad. It also doesn't work against Rest in Peace. Right. I mean, that's pretty huge. This text definitely, it's so powerful that you're going to mm -hmm. face hate and it'll just be like a, a scryfall search to try and figure out exactly what kind of threat you want to have against the, the hate. For sure. And I think that's going to be a huge, you know, I, the thing that I, that you've heard me coming back to over and over is like every decision that I'm thinking about is what hate are we playing against? And uh, oh, Narset is also a big piece of hate that you do need to be ready for. And Sprite Dragon is very good against that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's why my initial like thing that I'm leaning towards is I want to have Sprite Dragon as my backup thing and then maybe like board in Crackling Drakes. And all of that is kind of bad against Extinction Event, but hopefully, I don't know, maybe there just needs to be a different plan for Extinction Event decks. Some of the anti-hate stuff I'm also thinking about. Abrade is obviously a fantastic card for killing artifacts. I think Prismari Command might actually be really good because it's an incidental additional way to discard phoenixes if you just like didn't... Phoenixes and oxes if you didn't get to your Faithless Looting yet. And it has a shatter on it. So... Yeah, I, and it's I think not Prismari hard to triple Command. spell with it. I think Sprite Command is actually very, very good in this deck. And mm -hmm. possibly if there's reasons to shatter things or shock is particularly strong, I could see a copy or two make its way into the main deck. Yeah. The the shock mode is a little bit of a bummer because like... That's what your deck's good at already. You've got shocks covered with this deck. It is incredible how much not having lightning bolt cramps your style with this deck. I, obviously, we all know that th a three damage, three damage for one mana is in incredibly better than two damage for one better. But it really does change the texture of what the deck is capable of doing. Where like the Pioneer deck is good when there is shockable stuff, a Lightning Bolt deck doesn't have that problem because Lightning Bolt is good against everybody all the time. <laughs> yep, no creatures. And all right, that's the Lightning Bolt to the face, and it yep. just feels so much better than a shock to the face. It really does. It's it's incredible. Um, oh, um, what's its name? Uh, Stormwing Entity is cool, an odd. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Huh. And it's like technically a three drop. You know, you can't metamorphose it out, but you can play it on turn three. Yeah, that's not too bad. I think it's less good of a card than Sprite Dragon generically yeah. and against a lot of the stuff, but against Extinction Event and Fatal Push and uh, uh, Blood Chief's Thirst. It's it's got the mana cost there to dodge that stuff. Yeah, I think Phoenix is going to be one of the better starter decks for Historic because <laughs> Brainstorm Faithless Looting Phoenix is just such a powerful shell. Yes. Yep. 
And I think navigating the hate properly is going to be where you figure out if, if you can play the, play the deck or not. So yeah, I'm excited to work on it, but we do not need to talk about just Phoenix for the entire historic portion of this episode. Well, we can we can talk about some Storm decks. Yes. Uh, I don't have good lists for a lot of these. Like, I, I tried to build a few lists here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hit just a brick wall on Bolus' Citadel tendrils because the only way I could, like, really build it was kind of super linear with Explore Creatures and, like, Wild Growth Walker and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem to me to be like very good sure i I mean sure you can still like play a set it'll kill them but that's not super different than what usually happened with that deck and it's just like kind of not good anyway right sure yeah so i kind of just shelved that until i figured out a different way to work with citadel tendrils i was more enthralled by like mizix's mastery and uh mind's desire with statuary i think those are Mm -hmm. both easier and better ways to go about the initial storm stuff yeah so like the, the mono blue mines desire deck i alluded to i think the last time we talked about historic i haven't changed it from the last time uh, it's just like emory Psy, all artifacts paradoxical mm-hmm. outcome and four minds desire with inspiring statuary a card that was not released in omniket remastered but luckily was reprinted in <laughs> historic anthology four in uh, Kaladesh remastered, yeah, right? Cal- yeah, definitely wasn't an Alamkett remastered. Yeah. But it wasn't a Kaladesh remastered either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that card lets you tap your artifact. It gives everything that isn't an artifact improvise. So you can use it, use your artifacts, all your zeros, to cast uh, Mind's Desire. Mm-hmm. And then if you desire into... Well, first of all, your, your deck is a large portion of zeros, so you can play them all, then play a Mind's Desire. Mm-hmm. So you get Storm for like four or five. If you flip into a paradoxical outcome, you can pick up all your zeros, draw a bunch of cards, replay them, and you have basically assembled a ton of mana with the statuary. Mm-hmm. And if you flip a mind's desire, that's basically game. You can just go until you hit uh, Aether Flux Reservoir, mm-hmm. and you can win that way. You can also I play, play a Tendrils. I want to play Karn as my Aether <laughs> Flux Reservoirs, but yeah, sure. You can play Karn too. Like there, It doesn't really... The thing about Mind's Desire is it doesn't really matter how you win. There's a bunch of ways to win. Once you have infinite cards, you can cast for free. Right. I just kind of like the idea of Karn as a backdoor way to win plenty of games where they shut down your engine stuff. Sometimes you just cast Karn and then that kills them. I had a version with Sahili Sublime Artificer that uses Mox Ambers to produce red mana. So Mm -hmm. you, you can always pick them up with your outcomes to produce red mana with Sahili in play. And then the uh tutor card from strixhaven gets an instant sorcery with a grape shot you can just kill your mm-hmm. opponent with a grape shot and that's just a sure. little more compact than karn or aether because it's actually tutorable by a card that you can get minds desire with sure yeah i mean obviously discussing the actual way that you reduce your opponent's life total to zero is very academic versus building the engine properly and navigating around hate properly so and I think that deck is probably a little too flimsy in a world of just people can play Karn the Great Creator and it's really hard to win. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't shut off Inspiring Saturated, it just shuts off all your stuff. So it's not impossible, but honestly, anytime I play these decks with like 30 artifacts, even if the artifacts don't do anything, Karn will get something that stops me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
Storm in general has a, you know, uh, Thalia is legal in this format, and so is Meddling Mage. And these are, if you're casting a bunch of spells, I would certainly lean towards a deck that has a bunch of shocks in it if there are Thalias around. But certainly, like, no Thalia Meddling Mage deck has made its presence known in the format yet. But if there's a lot of combo decks running around, that could be a place that people go. Yeah, and I also built, when I was building these storm decks, I ignored interaction because, you know, you don't build storm decks, interact with your opponent. <laughs> right, and and you, you can't put the interaction in until you know what your opponents are doing to you. Like, do we need Brazen Borrower? Do we need actual removal? Like, I mean, we probably need Brazen Borrower is, is probably the best thing to do, but still. Yeah, that's why you see, like, a one unsubstantiate in the storm decks with, like, a repeal in modern. Because they don't mm. want to play any interaction, but people play stuff in that format that stops you. How dare they? So you do have to, like, you know, respect it a little bit. I made an Underworld Breach deck. This is kind of in the vein of the Jeskai Breach decks from a little earlier. This is just a straight-up it version, because you have Brainstorm and Faithless Looting as your, mm-hmm. you know, huge card draw engines. Uh, with Diligent Excavator, Mox Ambers, Artifacts with uh emery and sahili sure and Burgie, god of storytelling a neat little card that lets you generate uh, just a ton of mana mm-hmm. uh, the whole shell is just underworld breach uh, excavator emery that that sort of like shell yeah and you can use Burgie or sahili for extra tokens or uh mana horn of Harnfell is really good in these kind of shells and I just threw in a grape shot because, you know, you can kill your opponent with Diligent Excavator most of the time, but every now and then you can just use a grape shot for clearing the board early. And if you happen to throw it in your graveyard, you can just kill them with it. Sure. Yeah. And for decks like these, you know, Psy is also legal. That is, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but that is always an option if you're as an alternate win and your artifact heavy combo E deck. Yeah, it's weird because the printing of Brains or Grape Shot and Faithless Living to some extent makes me prefer Sahili in Mox Hamper decks because Sahili like makes red yeah. mana. I mean, it's not as a big deal in this specific deck because Burgi has it just generates red mana already. Mm-hmm. So it's not that big a deal, but it Sahili, But sometimes it's, it, yeah, it, it, it can often be a difference maker. Mm-hmm. You have no mana available now you play your your mocks like if you didn't have your burgie in play and you can't make red mana off of your mocks you can't use burgie to make red mana at any point so it it certainly is a difference maker it basically requires you to start having a lot of cards in your favorites you can cast mox amber multiple times so you can just chromatic sphere into red mana which is Mm -hmm. possible but it's way easier just have a red thing in play and tap your mox amber for red mana Right. than to like right. have a few extra hoops because your margins are usually pretty thin. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they always were with uh, Kethys and stuff, so I imagine it's very similar with this. Yeah, you, you count your graveyard a ton. And this is all like theoretical. I haven't played with Brainstorm, Faithless Looting, Underworld sure. Breach because those cards are just not legal together in formats. <laughs> <laughs> I love Emery Brainstorm. Oh, that's, yeah. That's nice. And, and Diligent Excavator, too. Yeah, no, the best part is you can play Emery on turn two or whatever with a Mox Amber in play, then respond mm-hmm. to the trigger by brainstorming. Oh, man. Because That's awesome. Yeah, the, the Amber gives you the extra blue mana. Uh, and you can do the same thing with a 
I mean, I guess you don't have a, a legend in place. So you can't just do the same thing that early with Diligent Excavator. But if you have a legend in play and you play a Diligent Excavator and then you play the Mox Amber that is active, you can respond to the Diligent Excavator trigger with... Oh, no, that's a, that's a cast trigger. It but is a cast anyways. trigger. But Diligent Excavator works with Brainstorm. Yes, is, and this is, deck plays four Fabled Passage, and I think I put six basics out. They have four islands and two mountains. Mm-hmm. So this is like the deck I was most excited to start off with, but I think it's also probably not a good player <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. just vulnerable to so much hate. It's so bad against Grafdigger's Gauge, and it's not the quickest clock, but it's really, really, really resilient. It's kind of got the Game 1 Storm problem where removal is good against you graveyard hate is good against you thalia is good against if they just like have two pieces of that stuff then you're probably screwed yeah yeah and you can beat removal if you're mm-hmm. if your opponent's like mostly removal because you can just wait a little bit longer uh the problem really comes when people just try to kill you <laughs> yeah and you're like kind of resilient to thought seize too so that's that's not i mean obviously thought seize is going to be fine against any combo deck but your pieces are like weird and interchangeable and and so like Thoughtseize is often going to be recoverable unless it's Thoughtseize and like I mean Death Shadow might be really good. It got Inquisition and Night's Whisper and there's two Death Shadows in the format. Like if Death Shadow exists, then these decks are gonna have have some struggles. Yeah, the the Thoughtseize brainstorm interaction is gonna come up a lot in historic. Mm. And True. if any deck like this one, like Thoughtseize is generally not great against these cards that are all like kind of, especially when your opponent can just draw Underworld Breach and undo everything. Right, exactly. Uh, but being able to just brainstorm a response to a Thoughtseize and then just hide your best cards, it's rough. Right. If you if you Thoughtseize them and they brainstorm and then the next turn they cast an Emery, like your Thoughtseize didn't do anything at all. I mean, it probably took a card out of their hand, but it didn't matter, right? right emery is a nice one in historic too uh particularly against the black decks just cost having a three mana having a mana value of three but not actually costing you three mana means that you know it doesn't die to thirst it is difficult to fatal push although there may be more shocks going around depending on how good the phoenix deck is but still i I think the value of fable passage goes through the roof with brainstorm's release Mm mm-hmm so yeah like there's four in this deck and i yeah. certainly wouldn't be playing them if i didn't have brainstorm right but you know it is a lot harder to fatal push an emery in this format than in modern so those are the two stormy decks that i've mostly am looking for and the thunder yeah. breach isn't really a storm deck it just plays a grape shot for value uh, it's mostly a brainstorm faithless looting combo deck yeah with diligent excavator is really your your how you make it work yeah that your kill condition and your engine i'm also interested in if there is a way to build some sort of mono red deck where you get the one mana cantrips you get runaway steamkin you get bergy you don't get brainstorm which is kind of gigantic but you do get faithless looting which seems disgusting in a deck like this um so i don't there may there might be something weird out there i think you that kind of wants to be a hollow one deck but there's no Grinning Angus is available, right? You can Grinning Angus for Infinite Storm with Burgi. Yes. So maybe you can do that. But also works with Steamkin a little bit. 
gives mm-hmm. you plus mana off of a Grinning Angus. So you could actually go up in yeah. mana. Because the Grinning Angus is a red spell. If you have Steamkin or Burgi, just one of those and a Grinning Ignis is Infinite Storm at mana neutral. If you have two of them, then you're up mana, but that seems really unlikely to have happened. But I mean, uh, you can cur- I don't... look, you can curve turn two Steamkin, turn three Burgi, turn four Ingus bounce. That's mm-hmm. not that hard. I don't know if right. you have enough mana to do all the things you want to. Well, yeah, because you can recast. Yeah, because because then you then you have your Steamkin three. Yeah, and you're getting. Yeah, I think you're all set at that. If you do just if they don't have removal and you go Steamkin Bergy Ignis, then yes, you have infinite red mana at that point. And you can red sunsing at them. That card's an historic, right? <laughs> you you laugh, but I thought it was. <laughs> it's not. Oh well. <laughs> There's some fireball. Yeah. But I think with Steamkin and Burgi being redundant for that purpose, and yeah, maybe with Grinning Ignis just like being a an on its own combo piece there that gives you infinite storm, like you are hurt a little bit by having no, you know, no no draw fixing beyond Faithless Looting, and you're just trying to like cantrip enough, and so that kind of like messes up your manner. Like having Warlord's Furies. And stuff in your combo deck like sucks and messes up your mana ratios and stuff and i i really don't love it but there's something neat there to be discovered maybe i mean and maybe you just splash into blue to just play some brainstorms like yeah, the card maybe. is so powerful you can play magmatic yeah. channeler to just clear the brainstorm away if you need mm-hmm. to like that doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world to me no and you do i mean and this is once you're doing like this complicated stuff, you're not doing hollow one things. Yeah. But I, so I think that for hollow one decks, the only one that I saw that I was like, okay, that could work was the cycling deck with faithless looting. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I think it's really difficult to get zero mana hollow ones because we don't have access to goblin lore or burning inquiry. Each of which just says at the end of this, if you have any hollow ones in your hand, they're now on the battlefield. Faithless looting only discards two cards. Like, there's never going to be an incredible turn that involves faithless looting and a one mana ho- you know that's never going to be a shocker of a turn that's just going to be okay yeah i think mostly you can't play hollow one unless you're a cycling deck like a flourishing mm-hmm. box style deck yeah uh, until the next anthology when they print like bizarre Baghdad. yeah um <laughs> right <laughs> correct I, who knows man i did see Manguchi posted a potential Boros cycling deck, which, you know, it's pretty much just the Boros cycling deck as it exists, but now it has Faithless Looting, and that looks like pretty fine to me. Flameblade Adept, Hollow One, Flourishing Fox, cycling cards, you get to play uh, Cast Out as one of your cycling cards, and might be fine. Certainly, like, if the graveyard hate that people are playing is Grafdigger's Cage, you still kill them with Zenith Flare, so. Uh, I also thought it was funny that he had to post a sideboard guide for a format <laughs> that just doesn't exist yet. Content creation at its finest. Uh, yep. But yeah, lots of iterations of Storm to be had, so. I, I wonder if, like, the Citadel deck that ends up existing is not the Explore package and is closer to is more heavily spell-based and is using like brainstorms and maybe some weather the storms and stuff like that. And it's just, it's going to look like a mess and it's going to be really hard to build compared to 
explore guys bolus's citadel tendrils yeah i think i mean that's why i stopped building it right because i was doing it in between meetings and mm-hmm. i didn't have the time or willpower to like that's fair dig through and build like this four color monstrosity <laughs> right right Um, my next big category that I hid here was time warp decks, and I, you know, continue to regret not putting time warp in the uh, holy shit tier in the last episode or the last historic episode. But uh, I do think that it creates a bunch of stuff, creates new archetypes, powers up some stuff that exists, and is a whole like discussion point on its own, just as Faithless Looting and Brainstorm are. I think that. Like, number one, it's really good in this Sultai deck. Being able to cast Emergent Ultimatum and say, here's a Time Warp, here's a Time Warp, here's a powerful thing. You can either give me two extra turns and two 1-1 flyers, or you can give me an extra turn and a powerful thing. No winning that one. (laughs) It's pretty tough. I mean, you may end up just having to take the gamble of, like, two extra turns. Hopefully they can't do anything with them, but... They get to choose what the piles are, and if I don't have anything left in my hand, I'm probably not choosing two time warps if I can't do anything with those turns. So the fact that they gave you the option to give them two time warps means that you're going to die in those turns. It feels like a play that someone would play, like, do against me at a local event, and I'd size them up and be like, they didn't think this through. Take the two extra turns. I hope you don't have anything. (laughs) Right. But once you're at high mythic and somebody gives you time warp, time warp, whatever disgusting monocolored thing the the sphinx or whatever if you give them the time warps like they're just going to cast another seven mana spell and kill you with it in the extra extra turn and attack you for four (laughs) yeah i think time warp is really really good i think mostly it'll be good in that emergent ultimatum style because that that deck's just already good right Mm -hmm. but i built a just a simic time walk deck that's pretty first day of the format deck list. There's just a million four ofs. Mm-hmm. But I think Brainstorm, Abundant Harvest, uh, Explore, Time Warp, and Tamiyo all work super duper. They just give your deck so much consistency to hit Time Warps. Mm-hmm. And all runs Epiphany, however many you want to play. I just threw in four. That's probably not right. Sure. But like basically, you just try to get a Tamiyo and fill your deck with a ton of cantrips like searchers can't up on a growth brainstorm so you can kill them with nessa who shakes the world which also sure. happens to get you a, a million mana so you can all run epiphany <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah i mean looks broken to me and is not vulnerable to you know if people are like i'm gonna main deck graph diggers cage because there's it's good against everything like that doesn't do anything to this deck most hate cards don't do anything to this. Yep. Yeah, I, I chose to play in this version that I built. I have a ton of cantrips for consistency mm-hmm. because I hate drawing regrowth before I draw in a time warp. So mm-hmm. uh, this version of the deck doesn't have any regrowths in it, even though that card is legal now. You can put in some if that's like how you see the games going. But I figured uh, I just want cantrips with explore, a growth spiral, and search for cantas to ramp. This, you might even be better off with Balaged recoveries in this deck. Yeah, that, that could be true too. I didn't. I just completely forgot about that card. <laughs> <laughs> it, you were, we were lucky. I remembered Haze of Pollen. Like that's a that's an <laughs> Omnicat draft card. Right, right. 
Well, but it was in some of the one iteration of the Turbo Fog Time Warpy decks in a standard format. Yeah, a standard format. It didn't make it into the Pioneer early Nexus of Fate decks because just Fog is legal in that format. <laughs> yeah, we don't have... I assume we don't have Fog in this format? No, I checked earlier. There's no Fog. Okay, good check. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that this deck looks like it has a lot of raw power and just the generic hate cards that people are playing for stuff except for mystical dispute is probably like the most powerful hate card against this deck but you know that's a one for one and your whole deck is just trying to get to the next time warp so right right hopefully one for ones aren't going to be too powerful unless they're like roguesing you or something where they're just putting you under so much pressure with disruption right if they put a creature into play put a creature into play mystical dispute your tamio like okay that's yeah. pretty bad for you yeah we'll pack it in i don't think haze of pollen's gonna do it and, I, and i'm pretty low on haze of pollen generally mm -hmm. uh, it's like purportedly a two mana time walk but in actuality there are so few decks that can't just use their turn to set up something strong mm -hmm. even the aggro decks like even if it's done sacrifice which you know kill you with damage theoretically right. they can just set up mayhem devil stuff yeah so you haze Paul in the cycling deck and then they zenith flare you for nine right like, I, i'm really low on haze and it's just in this deck because i felt like it should be but it wouldn't surprise me if just haze is not very good and we're just playing yeah. prison bars or something instead the the fogs in a deck like this are really a metagame choice yeah like it, it's really good against a phoenix deck or against like a mono red prowess you know a hollow one deck or something like that against other if the format is heavy on those decks then fog great if it's not, then we do something different. We run some main deck mystical disputes or whatever. Yeah, if you're playing against Gruul and they just don't have Questing Beast for some reason, Fog is insane. Yes, but they have a lot of Questing Beasts. Well, and it might stomps. be a company version. Stomp also stops Fog. Jeez, yeah, Stomp does also stop Fog. Yeah, Fog Fog's stock has lowered. Significantly, yeah. <laughs> Via the printing of Throne of Eldraine. <laughs> Yeah, if there's one thing you can know about British folklore is that they hate fog. Yes, but they get a lot of it. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah, it does. Wouldn't, wouldn't you hate fog if you, you know, just had it every day? Probably, yeah. I mean, I live by a lake, so it's not too close to untrue, but mm, <laughs> it's not as cold fair. here. <laughs> uh, and one other thing about Time Warp that I, during our our set review i kind of missed when i was like and felimachus lorehold like if there's a five mana sorcery in your deck that's just like good all the time then you know that's kind of what you want but you know what cards do that and well time warp does that oh yeah so, that's a five mana sorcery that's just good all the time <laughs> so if you can put together a deck and i've seen you know like mason uh was tweeting about potential lists for this deck that cheats it out and just like has time warps in it and maybe some physics mastery like you can make it pretty likely that if you get Velimachus Lorehold onto the battlefield and swing with it, you just win the game from there. Ooh, I was, I was, uh, I haven't seen very many Vores, Vor, whatever it's called, Lorehold cards <laughs> or decks. Mm -hmm. So what I was thinking when you put it in this like document is that you're trying to, your secondary was actually the Unburial Rights, because that's an easy way to get Lorehold into play. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then you can unbarely write like the scholar, this the big sphinx, but also does like mm -hmm. a similar thing, and you just like, kind of go go that way. Oh yeah, I think those all are in the deck. Yeah, I think that is likely to be how the deck is built. 
there's just going to be a lot of sequences that end with you time warping three times and attacking them for five each of on each of your turns and that's that's pretty good oh yeah faithless living is great then too yes and i think prismari command is actually really really good in that deck too if you eot prismari command loot put a treasure into play turn four unburial rights or you know I guess you could cast the backside of the unburial rights and don't have to use your treasure because you discarded it as well. But you know, even if you miss your land your colors, drop, yeah, right, right. You're fixing your colors and you're kind of awkward mana deck, and it might let you leave up mystical dispute mana or something like that. So, and kills craft diggers cages. Oh, that's true. Yeah, kill your craft diggers cage. Put unburial rights, huge creature into my graveyard. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Velomachus Lorehold's a good a good use for time warps. Well, or time warps a good use of Velomachus Lorehold. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's more <laughs> accurate. There's going to be more time warp decks than there are Velomachus Lorehold decks in this historic format, most most likely. I suspect you're right because again, Emergent Ultimatum, like we said, right. certainly going to play playing a time warp. Just immediately improved by putting a time warp over basically any card in that deck it's also just time warp is rarely awkward mm -hmm. because it's just only five mana like you right and it gives you an extra turn it refunds all your mana when you cast it so as long as it doesn't get countered right and having a time warp in your graveyard in that deck is actively good so it's not even just an explore like a free explorer or whatever another shot at a draw step it's like okay now i have a time warp in my graveyard my emergent ultimatum piles are way better because sphinx gives me a time an extra turn if you give me sphinx so mm -hmm. like it, it just gives you more options that way what's that card called that we keep referencing i think it's like scholar or something. sphinx of the lost scholar of the lost trove or something yeah scholar of the lost trove okay yeah because I know it's a Sphinx and a Scholar, but I'm not sure the order of words on the card. Which, which one's the name? Which one's the creature type? Well, I'm pretty sure there's no Scholar creature type, but... No. But yes, having a Time Warp in your graveyard in a deck with Scholar in it is actively good. In particular, if you're casting Emergent Ultimatum, it just makes your piles like completely untenable for your opponent. So. And Scholar is a really nice card to... It, more in the Lorehold deck, because it's also a 5-5 five, five flyer. Mm -hmm. So if that's one of your payoffs for Embarrow Rights to Time Warp, you get to just, again, attack for five in the air. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and there's only so many free turns with a 5-5 five, five flyer attacking them that your opponent can survive. Yeah. There's also possibilities for, I mean, you know, here's one, this Scholar stuff and uh, Unburial Rights, Velomachus Lorehold stuff is one of the things enabled by faithless looting there's plenty of stuff beyond phoenix that is enabled by faithless looting Bractos arcanist slash croxa stuff is one thing uh you know there's no like lingering souls analog in the format so it's a little tough to build like pure mardu the, the way that it was in modern several years ago but i think croxa makes faithless looting really really disgusting so as long as there's no Graft Digger's Cage in play, I think you can play a lot of lootings in your mid rangey black red deck. I, I had to double check whether or not Lingering Souls was in an anthology. <laughs> it, it isn't. <laughs> but man, it, it's kind of surprising because there's a bunch of random flashback cards in the anthologies. Yeah. We'll get Lingering Souls in Historic one of these days, I bet. Yeah. Could just be around the corner. Yeah. Along with the Bizarre of Baghdad. <laughs> 
<laughs> love to discard lingering souls to my bizarre Baghdad. The reserve really list good. doesn't apply to Magic Arena, right? <laughs> you know, other things with Faithless Zooting. I mentioned Mizix's Mastery, but I bet there's a bunch of neat stuff to do there. I don't know how involved Faithless Zooting is in, like, these mid-range blue-red decks that have been dancing around in my head that are heavy on, uh, like, Magma Opus and Gear Hulk and some Mizix's Mastery, but I bet Faithless Zooting does some work in those decks. But... Generally, I do want to well, play with, around with those things. With Magma Opus specifically, you don't really need Faithless Looting because it discards right. itself. Right. Like the curve of discard Magma Opus on turn two, make a treasure, play my third land, then mastery the Opus is like pretty huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it does it all on its own. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree that it doesn't necessarily need Faithless Looting, but Looting might just be good enough might do some might do just enough in that deck you know could be a grixis deck with croxa in it that's true uh, that may be doing too much but in the in the decks i was looking at i found a jeskai control deck that was more uh to fairy gear hulk plus opus mm -hmm. with uh just mm -hmm. lightning helix and like good cards it just looked like a good jeskai control deck yeah, and that sounds nice to me. And you get to run Teferi Memory Lapse in that deck if you mm -hmm. want to do that. Yeah, and or Teferi Remand or whatever you want to do. Wait, is Remand in the format? I thought no it way. was one of the... Maybe I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong. Yeah, it's just it's just Teferi Memory Lapse. Yeah, and I mean, Gear Hulk Memory Lapse is really gross. <laughs> you, you listed out Remand and Teferi as packages you think are great. That's probably why I got confused. Oh, that must be why you got confused. I meant... Memory Labs. Let me fix that right there. Yeah, I think Memory Labs is going to be pretty huge. And definitely, yeah, Jeskai Control with Helix, Teferi, Gear Hulk, Opus does sound like a solid. I, I, I do kind of like the idea of Faithless Suiting in that deck to kind of get rid. But but I guess you've got Brainstorm. So if you have yeah. like a Teferi and two Gear Hulks in your hand, like you can fix that. Yeah, exactly. I think Brainstorm is just a little superior to Faithless Looting in the Control deck. Yeah. Especially with your absent graveyard synergies. And you don't even need to go super ham on like Magma Opus because it's just one of the cards you can put in your control deck that your Hulk's already going to be good in. Like you could just throw it in a Sublime Epiphany of Magma mm -hmm. Opus. Just play yeah. a normal control deck with Safari and just have some haymakers you stumble across every once in a while. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that sounds really good to me. And the benefit of being Jeskai over Grixis is you get a Triumph that fixes your mana perfectly on turn one. Yeah. And you get Lightning Helix, which is actually pretty big for aggro decks. Yeah, and, and even good against like what I assume the Phoenix decks are going to look like. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. What else? Well, we can talk about um, Godfair's Gift. Oh, yeah. Uh, another thing probably heavily enabled by Faithless Looting. Uh, you're going to want to be red in your Godfair's Gift deck probably going forward from here. Yeah, I saw Jerry. I think it was Jerry. Built a mono red Godfair's gift deck. It was a Gate to the Afterlife style, which is like a million creatures and then some cathartics and some Faithless lootings to turn on your Gate to the Afterlifes. Mm -hmm. So you could just bring back Combat Celebrant and go to town. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, and, and that deck's probably fine, but it doesn't have that much enabling other than just like the red discard spells. Mm -hmm. I was looking at a, uh, a Jeskai version that plays brainstorm with faithless looting because i think that pairing is great in any mm -hmm. deck that wants to assemble two cards together 
Right. And if you're doing that, you can just play Refurbish instead of uh, Godfrey's Gift. Sure. Or instead of Gate to the Afterlife. Yeah, sorry. Instead of Gate to the Afterlife. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like that. that is certainly always an option. Um, and then you're probably playing a pretty different, an extremely different creature yeah. suite. Yeah, you're know, trying like, to cheat things out rather than yeah. play a bunch of like small creatures that all become 4-4s four and are all of a sudden threatening. Right. Um, one thing that I, you know, I, I goofed around and experimented with Godfarrow's Gift in previous historic formats. One thing that I was actually pretty impressed with was Morog, the Minotaur that gives oh, you combat st- yeah, the gives you extra combat mm-hmm. steps. And what I really, what I do like the idea of is maybe a blue-red Godfarrow's Gift version with a bunch of the cheap artifact creatures, including Bomat Courier, Hope of Gearper, and Emery as a way to mill yourself and also a way to cast Gate to the Afterlife out of your graveyard. There's actually some I, power to that engine there. I really like that because I, I think Brainstorm is really good in Godfarrow's Gift decks because you have mm-hmm. so much rant, so many random cards to clear it. Like mm-hmm. Strategic Planning gets rid of them, sort of, in a roundabout way. Uh, Minister of Inquiries does it really well. That's the one I really like there with it. Yeah, for sure. If you have Minister and Emery in your deck with Brainstorm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's blue red is a nice way to start with the gauge the afterlife stuff. I like it a lot more than mono red because I, again, brainstorm is really strong, especially if you can just clear off the top of your library, mm-hmm. and those decks are pretty good at doing that. Especially with Bomac Carter too, if you kind of want to do that, you can yeah. brainstorm cards you want to keep and put them on top, and then crack Bomac Carter like a reverse brainstorm. <laughs> You know, you get the benefit, like, you want to run four Fabled Passages because it's good with both Morag and with Brainstorm, so you get that nice little thing going on. And Morag, I've just found to be a really good way to turn your Hopes of Gearper and Bomat Couriers and stuff like that, because it pumps them for each time they've attacked this turn. So a lot of times what'll happen is, like, you'll get your Morag into play, attack with your Hope of Gearper for two damage, and then in your next combat step, you'll bring back you know, some other flyer or whatever and attack and your hope of gear or attacks for three damage plus whatever you're attacking with now. You get your next combat step because of Fable Passage. Now your hope is attacking for four damage. Like that hope of gear just did a billion damage all on its own. So I, I mean combat celebrant definitely is the traditional way of getting extra combat steps in these decks, but I there's there's some level of power that Morog contributes that is a decent number of games like he'll win that combat celebrant wouldn't have you do have to have the land though when you don't obviously combat celebrant does the thing where morag does not do the thing it's also a lot easier to cast if you just want to run out of creature yeah i just feel like you never actually win those games that like casting combat celebrant like often is just like getting time walked really hard so it's not as bad when you have hope of gear as well because you can just silence your opponent then play your combat celebrant so it forces them to tie up more mana and interacting on your turn which hopefully you can capitalize on sure which is not an option of morag but morag is way stronger to bring back with uh Contrary's gift of course as long as you still have your land drop but since your turn was probably crack gate that i played last turn now play my land like it, it worked out more often than it didn't in in the deck that I was playing. And, before, and so. with Champion of Woods, if you're still playing that card, you can usually mm-hmm. find a land. Yeah. Yep. 
I, I don't know exactly how this deck gets built, but I do think blue red Godfarer's gift is would be my starting place over mono red. I think you have more stuff going for you there. Yeah, I like that. Especially anytime you get to play like a deck with brainstorm in it that can use brainstorm well. Yes. I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about? Um for historic, I don't think so. Like on more brainstorm tangents, people are trying to do Aetherworks Marvel stuff again because sure. it's brainstorm is so good with Marvel the card. Mm. And it's also good with a tune with Aether. Yeah. Because you sure. can shuffle away your top card. So that may be having a comeback, but I don't know if it's like again, you're playing all the dopey energy cards. So it's not, it hasn't really appreciably gained in strength other than that you get Brainstorm, which everyone also gets. Yes. So I, I don't like that very much, but it is something you can do. Yeah. Getting a better Brainstorm than everyone else probably doesn't really, like, it doesn't fix the problem of I'm running Rogue Refiner and harness lightning and stuff and like even if you and first of all i don't even know that you have a better brainstorm that people you're just using brainstorm well and Mm -hmm. the deck we were just talking about is also a deck that uses brainstorm well and phoenix is also a deck that uses brainstorm well so like how well the time warp decks are also decks that use brainstorm well and yeah so like how well are you actually utilizing brainstorm in comparison Yeah, it's just like elegant because you get a bunch of different like thing like brainstorm is patching up a lot of the holes that you had before. So it feels really good, but it may not have brought you up to the level of being a real deck. Yeah, and that's kind of where I stand on that. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I I don't really want to be in a position where I have to run all like this, this entire energy suite in my deck to make it work i mean obviously the deck that i was just talking about being excited is like a deck where i have to run a bunch of a big suite of dopey artifact creatures to make my deck okay so there's a difference between filling your deck with a bunch of one mana cards that sacrifice themselves to do graveyard stuff you get to loot every time a creature goes to the graveyard with gates of the afterlife right and if you're just playing a bunch of one mana artifacts to enable that whatever you're got in ranger deck to use your brainstorm whatever it's fine if you're playing a bunch of three drops to enable a four drop artifact, yeah, that's yeah. way different. I agree. For sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything else. I'm really excited. I am going to be streaming. I, I'm like saying it now in order to make myself do it, but I'm absolutely going to be streaming Thursday evening, probably pretty much as, as soon as I'm done with work and stuff. I'm going to be too excited. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm pumped. I... Like, Historic is probably going to be bad a week after this, but it's going to be really fun up until then, so I don't want to miss the fun stage of the format. Are you going to play any Is It Godfair's Gift on Thursday, or are you just going to straight for Phoenix? Well, I so the thing that I'm thinking is I'm probably not going to play any deck without Brainstorm in it on the first day. So that's that's going to be the main thing that just i have been restricted by but i can certainly like i mean the more i think about this god pharaoh's gift deck the more i kind of want to make it work so also like secondary concern wouldn't you spend thursday drafting so you can open some of your your mystical archives then yeah that is that is a thing that i have a huge problem with this bullshit system of like it is so much better and more efficient to play limited first and literally hold onto your packs until you're done playing limited and then open all of your packs to fill in the cracks. Like it sucks because a new set came out. I want to play constructed. 
please let me play magic the way that like I want to and kind of like reward me for playing magic. It like it sucks that you don't get anything for playing constructed generally. Yeah. Like you can't build your collection that way and that's like very obviously intentional and it's stupid and it sucks. I thought we weren't complaining about Magic Arena in this episode. I didn't sign anything to that effect. I didn't bring my my complaint list. <laughs> it was it was too long, so I had to leave it. Well, I mean, you're the one that brought this up, but no, well, I, I was just not... a, I was just only talking about the Mystical Archives because there's one in every pack for loaded. I know, so you can like get some before you start crafting everything. Plus, I know, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not going to be drafting. I'm just going to dump some money into gems, and I'm going to have to craft. And it sucks because they are rare. Like you know, up like brainstorm is rare faithless looting is rare i'm going to be spending rare wild cards on these things and like that obviously isn't the rarity that they come out of the packs as when you're drafting and i guess i'll be opening packs so hopefully in the you know my couple of boxes worth of packs that i open i'll get a decent number of things but yeah it sucks to spend rare wild cards on these things i wonder if they've done any interface work and the answer is probably no but <laughs> you know how would you open 10 Packs. It just shows you all the rares and how the commons are uncommons. Does oh, you're just you not going to see your mystical archive cards. <laughs> you're just, just not, not going to show know? up. <laughs> it's like more important than the actual cards in the pack. It's all I'm going to be opening the packs for, really. And they're so much prettier than the rares. Like, no disrespect right. to the rares or anything, but those cards are so pretty. But still, you can't you can't kill my vibe here. Like, I am pumped to play Historic. I'm going to spend money on gems, and I'm going to feel like a total asshole for doing it but i'm still gonna and i'm gonna have fun while i can and then historic is probably gonna be bad again and i'll stop playing it but you know we'll have fun leading up to it and maybe phoenix is just great and you'll just enjoy it maybe it's on the table it's on the table it's a very hateable deck so if it's good enough it probably attracts enough hate that it uh you know you switch over to god pharaoh's gift or something but yes a, a deck that classically dodges the uh the Grafdigger's Graf- Cages. Dodges Grafdigger's Cage, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Does not dodge the rest in peace so good. But nah, but then you just attack with your one-on artifacts, and then what do they do, huh? <laughs> you hard cast your Morog. Oh, yeah. No, nope, I think I'm done with Historic. I am looking forward to it. Uh, I don't... I, I really want to play some Eyes of deck, but I have not convinced myself to dump money into Arena again yet. Yeah, it's just really I... hard to do. I understand. If you stop by for the stream, ship me a list. Well, you know, you can get on and co-pilot the deck. We can, you can at least like do it a little bit vicariously. See what's, what's terrible about me is that I would ship you a list and then just not help you pilot. Cause I just want to see what you do. Well, <laughs> that's just how I want to watch everyone play magic. Just here, here's this thing. Go for it. At least these initial lists that are like heavy four ofs are not quite as like difficult to navigate through. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Here's the underworld breach deck I built this morning in between meetings two and three. <laughs> yeah, I it would probably be able to look the, look at it and be like, I understand how this works. So <laughs> it's a good start. All right. Well, thanks everybody so much for listening. I know this episode went a little bit over, but hopefully that doesn't offend anyone. I think we were were bribed to make it stay longer, right? Yeah, I think Dubes wanted a solid twelve hour episode, but you'll you'll have to settle for two. It's still pretty good. <laughs> hopefully, it gets to two. We talked a bunch at the the pre show. I don't know. I don't think it'll be exactly two hours. Yeah, I might not get there. That's true. 
but close. Yeah. We do really appreciate everybody's time. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Um, I am also CCR underscore grindcast on Twitch, but I might change that to CCR MTG before I actually start streaming on that account. Because I think that might just be a little more graspable. So Classic six-letter Twitch tag. So there's a guy on Twitter who has at CCR... And it's not Credence Clearwater Revival. Sure. It's it's a guy with 3,800 followers. He hasn't tweeted since 2019. I mean, that's right before the pandemic. So who knows what happened? August 2019. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I would love to get at CCR. But he's verified too, so I, you know, <laughs> you're not verified. I know, so it's just not going to happen. Too bad. But yeah, come, come, find me on Twitch. I'll be streaming. I'm going to do push-ups every time somebody follows me. I'm not a, an affiliate or partner, so I can't do anything for subs or whatever. But uh, if you follow me, I'll do ten push-ups or something. So whoa, whoa, be... it went from one to ten real quick. You gotta, you gotta moderate yourself. No, I don't think so, because the worst that happens is a lot of people follow me and I do a lot of push-ups <laughs> and get tired. So I'm like, okay with it. If 50 people follow me and I do 500 push-ups, great. If uh, we hit the point where my arms are noodles and I can't do any more, I'll just apologize to the people. IOU for push-ups yeah. will be on the wall. Yeah, I mean, at some point, right. And then once we hit like a thousand owed push-ups, you know, I'll have to do something else as a substitute because I'm never catching up to that. <laughs> We'll have to do push-ups for charity. <laughs> Anyways, come hang out. Come make me do push-ups. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a good week. <laughs> Bye.